Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 268. Would you like to try that again? No. Okay. Hey, Albert, did you hear when I defeated a state chess champion? No, tell me about it, Julius. My karate lessons really paid off. <laughs> that well, that, and that's Julius, just always going around beating up people. I'm sure he was a villainous karate or chess champion. <laughs> it's very possible they call me Mastermind. Yeah, was his name like the Rook or the Bishop or something like that? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Could be. Today we are talking about superheroes. Well, I was more focusing on the champion side because it was it was a chess championship. Chess champion, yes. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> but yes, all all of it was meant to be somewhat tongue in cheek. <laughs> yes, I yes, because in fact, Julius doesn't actually play chess. That He's is true. To it. Is it? I'm not averse <laughs> to it. I mean, I, I I play shotgun chess with my son, if that counts. Okay, sure. You probably don't know what shotgun chess is. It sounds like it's quick. Uh, no, it's it's where you one side has one side has one piece, and that one piece is equipped with a shotgun. <laughs> it sounds fun. Yeah, I used to. I had on my computer years ago a game called Kamikaze Chess, where the goal was to lose all your pieces, and ba- it, it plays just like normal chess. If but if you moved, if you had, if you were able to eat a piece, you had to eat the piece. That was the one rule that was different. And if you had a choice, then you could pick whichever one. But you had to eat at least what you had to eat a piece if you could. And so the goal was to basically get defeated, not to win, which is super fun. And I played it a lot. But then after that, I couldn't play regular chess anymore because I kept giving my pieces away accidentally. <laughs> I I was see. A great move. Oh, yeah. He's going to have to eat my queen now. Uh huh. Well, now we are way off course from the original Marvel champions. <laughs> so, yeah, today we're talking about Marvel champions, which is a fantasy flight living card game like Lord of the Rings or Arkham Horror or Star Wars or any of the other living card games they've made. Indeed. This one, however, is Marvel themed, as in superheroes. Now have you played this game, Julius? I have played this game. Okay. Um I've I've played it a fair portion. Um I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Okay. okay. I've actually played the game too. <laughs> which i'm glad we have because that does help doesn't it yeah i played yeah. i bought this game for my son as a christmas gift um in part because he and i like to play lord of the rings a lot the the living card game and it occurs to me that in a few years he, he just started his high, high school in a few years he's gonna go, like, go off to college and want to take my lord of the rings with him or something so i said uh-uh i'm gonna buy him his own living card game <laughs> yeah i mean i got it to play in addition to Arkham Horror, the card game, and to play it with my family, mm-hmm. because Arkham Horror card game is a little bit too um, advanced for them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was supposed to be an, an alternative, but it's we'll talk about it. <laughs> okay. Yep. All right. So let's 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 do a summary of the game. Would you like to try it? Sure, Albert. So this is, as you mentioned, a living card game where the idea is is that you play as one of a variety of heroes and your goal is to beat up the bad guys. Uh, As with many other living card games, you have the ability to build your deck in advance. Deck building in this game is relatively more streamlined because you will select a hero 
And that hero comes with about 15 different cards that are part of their deck. And then you will pick one of the four different types of colors of add-ons that you can pick. So like you can pick for assistant, you can pick for getting clues, for defeating enemies, you could get for healing. So you pick one of those different archetypes and then add as much from that archetype and neutral cards as you want into your deck. Once you have your deck assembled, you'll pick one of the different scenarios, um, which most of the scenarios all involve just one of the bad guys and their deck. You will shuffle up their deck and you will start playing. Every turn, the bad guys will get to take a turn. They'll deal a bad card to everyone. That bad card may be something immediate, maybe a minion or monster that you have to fight off. And then everyone has the opportunity to then play in response. So you get to play cards from your hand and start fighting back. Uh, one of the neat parts about this game is that each turn, each round, you're going to be having a brand new deck of cards. So it's an idea of use all the resources you can from your deck because you're going to be shuffling it up and getting a new set, a new hand of cards next round. So use as much of it as you can. Many of your cards can either be used for their effect or they can be used for resources to, uh, to pay for other cards. So each card will have icons in the corner and those icons can be used to pay for other cards. So that's part of the whole idea of moving through your hand because it's going to be a push and pull between whether or not you want to use a card for itself or use a card to pay for something else. But you'll get to going through there, and in general, you'll have to um, beat up the bad guy enough to slow down their scheme and prevent them from being advanced their scheme. So essentially, discover clues type of mechanic where you're trying to steal the clues to prevent them from being able to advance. Uh, if you manage to fully beat them up before they're able to advance through all of their schemes, you win. If they get through their scheme first, or if you're defeated, you lose. <laughs> that wow, that was quite the summary. I feel like we just did the whole episode. <laughs> that was that was awesome. You covered everything about the game. A couple of things I thought were interesting is that you're obviously coming from a very Arkham Horror point of view because you called them clues a couple of times and you said they're schemes. Oh, I am. <laughs> it's effectively the same thing. Yes. Yeah, so if you're familiar with Arkham Horror a clue is kind of similar to a scheme-ish. But yeah, th just like you said, it, it's a game about fighting villains with lots of little things in it. The rules? Do we jump into the rules next? Yes, the please. Component. Okay. Um, Since I'm sure that this is that type of rulebook that you want to talk about. This is that type of rulebook that I don't love, but it is it is handy for learning the game. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a fantasy flight. They, they love doing this. They make two rulebooks. One is a Read this to, to learn how to play and start playing right away. And it walks you through, very nicely walks you through setting it up and getting the cards you need and then getting you start playing. And it'll, it'll explain the very basic, simplest rules of how to play the game for the beginning scenario that they recommend and how to play it successfully. And it, it has everything you'll need to know pretty much in there, just about. You might have to reference the other book. The other book is a reference book. Everything is organized alphabetically. So if you're looking for a topic of, um, let's say, minions, you would look up minions under M and read about them and see what they are and how they work. Super handy way to learn the game and great for referencing. But I don't love it. You're right. <laughs> I didn't want to talk more about it. And here's what I don't like about it. I don't play this game a lot, but I play it sub. And every time I come back to it, I have to reread that first manual and i don't like the layout for for coming back to later to set it up for the learn to play i don't i don't like using the learn to play the second and third time around i wish it was more basic here's a setup instead of a walk through the whole thing 
Because oh, I don't feel like the second or third times I need to walk through it. I just want to the, the quick steps. To me, the, the steps are quicker. The first time is great. It's it's excellent for for learning the game. Which yes, is exactly. I and mean, if you play this game regularly, it's great. You won't need to come back to that book anymore. It'll sit at the bottom of your box. I think we've had this discussion every time we talk about a fantasy flight game. <laughs> yep. Because they do this every time. But I don't recall you having this issue about coming back to it being an issue. What we've talked about before about being an issue is the fact that, yeah, you, you learn everything from the basics, but then learning all the, the complexities are difficult because, I mean, mm-hmm. I can't think of any specifics for this one. We've talked about with Arkham Horror and other type of games that there's a special rule, for example, if you want to learn about the expert mode. You would have no clue if that counts until you just essentially start reading through the encyclopedia of everything. You're like, there's an expert mode? What do you know? So you have to read through it. And reading through the glossary version, the rules reference, it's boring. It's not intuitive. It's not, it's alphabetical. It's great for reference, but it's not great for learning all the things that are in there. Right. It likes a narrative. Correct. Where, where even a very dry rules outline has a narrative in it, right? It progresses through stuff. <laughs> and but that's that's given off with the fact that it is the easiest way of sitting someone down and teaching them how to play the game. The learn to play experience is exactly the sort of experience I try and give when I'm teaching someone else the rules. I don't give mm-hmm. them all that stuff. I know it, right. I've learned it, but I don't give them all that stuff when I'm sitting down. So this is trying to give, I think, the most optimal method of learning this type of game. It's not ideal, but I don't know that there is an ideal solution other than having a mechanized robot that comes there and and (laughs) literally can sit and teach you everything and then offer when it's most liable, like, Hey, here's something else you should know. Like you just, you just can't. And I think it's for the best. I hear what you're saying about the fact that it doesn't make a good reference. If, If you're looking for a short reference on the basics you don't really have that so much from mm-hmm. the rules reference because I think you have to scan all the way in the rules reference to like setup. I think even is where you have to go. I, I know for Arkham horror, there's a very short setup guide for the steps you have for setup in the appendix of the book. I don't know for Marvel champions. It has the same thing, but I don't remember. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, there is, there's um, an appendix three for setup, but even that, okay. It's it's not as good as a rule book that's that sorts you through it, but it's possible that there yeah. are printables that would help with that. But you know, honestly, the, and even though I have complaints about it, when I, it it isn't bad, it is well done. Um, it is definitely usable. I there was one thing I remember having trouble finding, which is what you do when you finish your deck. Um, when you when your deck runs out, you reshuffle, you start over, but now you raise the the scheming level of the enemy by putting a little counter on it. And every time I have to reference that, I always have so much trouble finding it. I don't know why. So Isn't that so only sometimes, in the rules reference? Uh I I think it's in the reference, but it's alphabetical and it's and if you don't know what term to look for, it's really hard to find it. Right? That's that's one of the issues. And I'll look under oh threat. No, it's not under threat. How about deck? I don't see it under deck. Let me go look at this thing and it's, and sometimes it'll take a few tries, that sort of thing. So I do find that that is a, an issue with the encyclopedia stuff. It could be frustrating if you don't know what to look for. But you know, again, it, you know, it, it really does work well ninety percent of the time. 
It, it is important. And I mean, I'm able to find right now that that rule you're referring to is under the uh, aspect player deck. But okay. yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Right. <laughs> so you have so you have to look under P for player deck, not D for yeah. deck. Right. So, <laughs> but yeah, again, again, it's not a huge, huge issue. Again, if if I really wanted to, I could sit through and read the whole encyclopedia once and kind of learn it and be easier in the future. Yeah. Uh, theme. Let's go on to component. Oh, theme. Okay. Let's do theme. Sure. Theme. Um, I mean, it it portrays the idea of a superhero fight pretty well. There's, I mean, some of it has to be abstracted away. The idea that, for example, when you're playing the game, you have the ability to flip over your cards and you can either go between the hero version and the alter ego version. And typically the hero version is going to be the side that you're using to punch stuff. And with the alter ego, you're going to be able to have more of the thwart type things that you'll mm-hmm. be able to be running with. And I, I think some of that interaction has to be abstracted away some because usually I just don't think it would happen quite like that, especially when like switching between one to the other in a comic book or in the story. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think some of it just has to be abstract away because you know, it's a game. It's not a full yeah, sim, yeah. quote simulation. <laughs> it's not a role-playing game. It's just a card game. And I think in terms of that, I think it portrays the theme pretty well. There's card art, there's the art and the terms being used are descriptive of what the characters do and would do. So I think all of that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yep, I, I I agree. I think the theme comes out well in this game. It is it is a game about superheroes. I'm not a really big superhero fan at all, honestly. I I haven't seen many of the Marvel movies. I've read the comic books a little bit early on, and then just I lost interest quickly. They just weren't for me, you know, which is fine. Um, I'm rolling my eyes at you because I am a superhero fan. Oh, uh, okay. So, so I think, and I, I don't know what I'm saying here, so you could correct me. I think that in Marvel versus maybe other franchises, the alter egos kind of matter a lot. And so the whole idea of flipping to the regular side and the hero side matters because they sort of portray both sides of the characters in their stories in the comics. Yeah, of course. I think that that is a neat effect. I like that you could flip the character and it's relevant and there's reasons you want to flip to the alter ego side and flip to the the hero side. Um, And I think that's pretty neat. Like you said, it's an abstract card game. So yeah, so some things are just abstracted, but... They do a good job of representing what the what the game is about. It's a it's a fight. He rules against a villain. Yeah, I think it is. I, I mean, I'm not exactly a superhero expert, but I do think that it is. It is a good portrayal of the sort of idea of many of the stories. So yeah, mm-hmm. you want to talk about components, and that is I next. I do. I do want to talk about components. So so yes, I definitely want to talk about components because there's a couple things. First of all, let me just get. Let me just get out with the cards. Um, there are there are card games. It is a card game, and I'd say that's probably the primary thing. The cards are nice. They're Final Fantasy style. They have nice card art. I think that all the graphic design and everything on them is, is well done and well noted. There is a token pool for different sorts of tokens. So there's the damage tokens and the, they're not clue, but the threat tokens. Mm-hmm. But there's the threat tokens, the damage tokens, and there are one, threes, and fives. And I think that all those those tokens are really good. Uh, there's also the miscellaneous, all-purpose counters, which can be mm-hmm. used for so many different things. 
And those are perfectly good and generic. You can put them on all sorts of things. They don't, all that has a nice comic-y feeling. One thing that I do not like is the status cards. There are status cards (laughs) for stunned, confused, and tough. Why are they just tokens? They are these little, exactly. They're these mini cards that you can put on around in things somewhere or other. And they're, they're big. And also every time they come out, I have to be like, well, wait a second. What is it that they do? What does stunned do? What does confused do? And what does tough do? Because they're just that text on it. If it would have been an icon or something like that, it would have been helpful, but there's no icon. There's no quick reference. If you don't remember it, it tells you on the card. Doesn't it? It, it so, does tell you on the card, but you have to pick up the card and read it. Oh, okay. If it had an icon or something like no threat or no damage or prevent damage or an icon mm-hmm. that referenced that, or even if the color sort of matched the same scheme as the thing that it's blocking, but it, mm-hmm. it doesn't, there's no reference for it. There's no way of remembering it. The, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't relate. Oh, yeah. I have to read <laughs> the card every time. There That's are funny. so many better ways of doing it. There are better tokens that are clearer to me that there's, there's a stunned token, which has a, a block on an attack. It's got a fist with a block thing on it. There's tough, which is a block, a, a damage block. So it's got, the circle with a little dry and like there are tokens that are made by other people that are so much mm. better and they're little representational tokens. Why, 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 why? And the <laughs> representational tokens say on the other side of them tough. So because many things just say tough and then you have to remember it the other way. Why, why, why did they make them into these mini cards? <laughs> that is, yeah. You know, that when, <laughs> when we, when we first opened the game and set it up, we were like confused. Why cards? It doesn't make sense, but you know, there they are. They're, they're, and you said they're huge, but just to be fair, they're not super huge. They're like, say like the small Euro size cards, like say the ticket to ride train cards or something like that. Yeah. So that they're about the half the size of any of the other cards. So yeah. if you want to mark that something is stunned, for example, you have to cover more than half of the card or somehow like associate it with a card or something like that. Instead of having a small token where it goes in a corner or it goes on yep. top of like the ones that are stunned, you stick it on top. If the, the ones that are the stunned tokens that I'm thinking of, the ones that are custom made are basically the size of the attack. So you put it on top of the attack and then you remember immediately when you want to attack. Instead, it just covers little cards. You have to put it the side <laughs> or just cover everything. Like, oh, oh ah. they're much Dear. bigger than they need to yeah. be. Dear listeners, Julius really hates these uh, cards. Really hates <laughs> they, these cards. They are annoying. I, I mean, I, I wish they weren't cards, but <laughs> whatever. For components, I think I'm generally pretty happy with it. My one complaint would have to, well, my two complaints would be, and it's just fantasy flight and how they do things. Their boxes are not big enough, <laughs> uh, especially if you're going to get expansions and you want to organize stuff. You're going to end up throwing out the air insert and finding some, or maybe the whole box and finding some other way to store stuff because, it's enough to fit the base game in a couple of the expansions, but they don't just release a couple of expansions for a game like this. There's so many expansions already. Things like a good 20 or so hero 
decks you could buy on top of it. And that does not fit in the box. <laughs> I mean, so, what do you want them to do? Well, I mean, you know, offer a box or change the layout, make it slightly Just bigger. Sell an empty box? Sure, I'd buy it. I'd buy it if it looked nice. If it was a box of the art and all that. <laughs> yeah, but then what are people going to want? Which way to store? I mean, there's so many people who want so many different types of storage methods. Maybe so. But anything would be better than what they have because it ends up being frustrating. That, Selling a big the, empty you know, box would be even more frustrating. No, nah, I'd buy it. The other thing that um, that bothers me, and I, it's just me personally, I don't really think it's an issue, but I don't like the the dials that they use for keeping track of health and stuff like that. I've, I've always found them a little frustrating to deal with. Why I'd so? rather just use counters. They're just, those dials, sometimes they're hard to turn. Either they're too tight and they're a little bit of a pain to turn or they're too loose. And if you're not careful, they change numbers. That's been my experience, mm. especially as it wears out over time. I actually have a set of little clicky. Um, they're, they're magic counter tokens is what they originally were. Mm-hmm. But they're much clickier. Yeah. They stand up right. So I've replaced, I've, I've got a box of those that I use for everything. So whenever we're playing this, and frankly, from many of my other games, we just pull these clicky things out. So I don't use these anymore, but they're they're perfectly adequate, I think, but they're not as nice as ones that click and hold. But the ones mm-hmm. that click and hold are, are more expensive for sure. Right, yeah. And, and this is the kind of game, if you play a lot, you're going to want to upgrade it, you know, change the storage solution, change those things, replace the cards. So it's a game you're going to want to tweak to make it more usable. Exactly. If, it's, if you're a casual player, it's fine. It's all fine. Don't, don't listen to us. <laughs> No, don't be a casual lot. player. That's that's the idea. Well, don't be a casual player. <laughs> that's what Fantasy Flight would love. All <laughs> in. Go all in. So that's themes. We've talked about components, uh, gameplay. Are we ready to talk about the gameplay? Let's do it. Okay. Um, so there, there's things I like about it for sure, and it, there's things that I find really interesting. Um, first of all, the, the gameplay is very familiar to me in, in that it feels a lot like the Lord of the Rings living card game. It's very, very, very similar in that in Lord of the Rings, you're, you're, there's a card that you're playing against that has counters that need to be put on it. There it's called traveling to the lo- through location and exploring it. Here it's the schemes that you're, you're managing those counters. And Arkham Horror has that too, but Arkham Horror I think feels a lot more different. You, you're managing heroes and allies and playing cards from your hand and all that and the, the way the villain feels and the way you have the deck you're drawing from, all that feels very, very much like Lord of the Rings. It's a little bit different, though. Um, this game, you're only ever playing one character, and you're you're paying for cards from your hand. Julius mentioned this earlier, right? When you play a card from your hand, other games have resources that you're collecting over time, and you're playing those resources and discard them. Here, you're spending the other cards in your hand, which is interesting. Instead of managing these abstract resources on the table, the cards that you have... Not only do you get to play them, but you get to choose to discard them instead to pay for the first card, um, which could that could lead to some interesting choices. You know, oh man, I really want to play these two, but I'm gonna have to discard one to pay for the other. Which one do I play, and which one do I get rid of? So I find that that adds a little bit of tension that makes it interesting and fun. I really like that about the game. the The back and forth feel of you going and taking your turn, and then the villain taking their turn. They all play really fast. And the game feels very, very quick and dynamic, like a like a fight should, right? Superhero fights in comics tend to be really quick events, even if they drag on for twenty panels. 
you know, in, in theory, they're really fast moments in time. And the game has a very fast back and forth feel that I like. I don't think we need to get into the gameplay details too much, right? Let's just say this. You go, you're going to play cards from your hand, pay for cards from your hand. You're going to tap to do things like attack or potentially heal and other stuff. Um, and then when you're done, you're going to fill up your hand, you're going to untap everything, and then the villain will take their turn. And they will get to raise the, the threat, the scheming. If the scheming gets too high, it advances the, the villain scheme, right? They got a, a three-part plan. Okay, first we're going to do this thing, and once that's successful, we're going to do this other thing, and then we'll defeat the city and destroy destroy the bat, the the heroes or whatever it is, right? So that You're is about done to say by destroy the Bat Cave. I heard you. Or so, yeah, <laughs> sorry, wrong universe. The uh, <laughs> so as they progress and you flip to the next scheme card, things get harder. If you're not familiar with any of the Fantasy Flight Living card games, this is very foreign to you, maybe. If you played any of them, this is exactly the same in all of them, I think. All the ones I've played. At least the cooperative ones. Um, as it advances, it, you know, it gets harder now. The new card has effects that make things harder as the game plays and progresses. And if you reach the last one and it fills up, you lose the game. You also lose the game if your hero dies. Um, each turn the villain is playing a card from the villain deck. I really like. I'm kind of rambling, but I'm okay with that. I really like how the uh, <laughs> the construction of the decks work in this game. It it, it makes things the simpler, decks. both the player and the villain deck. In Lord of the Rings and Arkham Horror, it's a little more complicated. In Lord of the Rings, I'm gonna make my my deck. I'm gonna pick three heroes. And then add a bunch of cards of the matching spheres to it. Right? And there's four different spheres to pick from. And generally you want a little synergy and you're going to pick two spheres and more of one and less of the other to match your hero distribution, blah, blah, blah. Um, same sort of thing in Arkham Horror. You're going to pick a hero and the hero you get will start with a couple basic cards. Plus, then you get to pick cards from their sphere and maybe one or two other spheres and the neutral sphere. Here, it, it is similar to that. And you, you're going to pick your hero. They start with 15 cards. You got to then pick another 25 at least, maybe th as much as 35, I think, because they say between 40 and 50 cards. But if you don't want to do that, if you don't really have an interest in the deck building, and this is entirely new in this game, is any hero you get when you buy a new pack or the heroes in the box, have all the, they already have a recommended deck to play with. That isn't bad. It works pretty well if you don't want to like play the hardest settings on the villains you have a decent chance of beating all the villains at their basic level. And so somebody that doesn't care about the, the deck building aspect of the game and, and figuring out what cards to put together and whatnot, it's a great game for that. And I think that's really neat. The villains are the same. You pick a villain, and then you add a... They, they bring side scheme, and you put the side scheme in the villain cards and shuffle them together, and that's your villain deck. But if you want, there's multiple side schemes, and you could swap them out and... and you know, if you have two, uh, a couple villain decks, and you got the ones in the base box, you might have eight or ten different side schemes. Each time you play, you could just pick a different side scheme to make it feel a little bit different and to tweak the difficulty. Some schemes are harder than others, and I really think that's neat way to keep the game simple for somebody that is not interested in deck building. But it also introduces deck building because if you start doing that and start playing with the, the villain decks a little bit. That might get you interested in doing the same things in the hero deck and adjusting. Oh, I'm gonna change a card here and there. 
Um, so I think that's a really neat way to progress into a living card game model and the deck building process and all that. And I don't, we don't mean deck building as in like uh, deck building. You mean deck game. construction. Deck construction. To use the technical term. And I have to yes. agree with you. I think that the deck, deck construction rules for this game are much simpler. And I think that's good for the potentially the target audience because it's, it's so much simpler to just have every single character that I'm aware of has the same set of rules. It's the character stuff, one aspect, and neutrals. And while, granted, the card pool continues to expand, continues to do other stuff with it, you're still always limited to, you know, it's essentially you take three quarters of the cards out of the game and still everything feels unique because unlike in Arkham, each character has a deck of 15 cards that comes with their own character. So I feel like there's a lot more opportunity to bring out a lot of each character's own history and tools and utility. Arkham, you don't really have as much story and reference materials for each individual character whereas with this one if you're playing as for example iron man and the only thing he had was just one like punch move that was his only card for him it's like but what about all the other stuff that he can do he can fly and use tensor rays and he's really smart and he's got his other suits there's so much other things that that is him and by adding all of that in there to the deck construction into his deck that helps make it feel much more like a lot of that character's history and story are coming out into what it is that you're doing with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so it makes that character more coherent, and you only have to add another 20 cards or so. It's it's easier to construct your deck. You don't have to spend as much time on it. Oh, Granted, the pool is still large for me, and at this point in time, if someone hands me a deck... I'm hoping it's entirely pre-built because I don't know all <laughs> the stuff that goes into it. I'm just picking it random. Now then, for this game, each individual expansion comes with a deck. If you buy, say, the brand new Phoenix, I think is the one that's most recent to come out, you you buy it and it is a whole deck. It's going to have some duplicates and some other things. At least it was. Uh, yeah, I haven't been following since mm-hmm. we're back on we're at wave six now and I haven't been following since we're wave frankly wave two um but each deck had some duplicates and that was okay you dealt with it but you had a whole deck in a box all of its own which was very easy to just sort of get into if that's what you want to play it mm-hmm. as and i think that yep. more highlights what the target market is for it yeah and and when you buy these hero decks it's going to bring the deck but it's also going to bring extra cards that you could use for deck building and if you're not into deck building then these are just going to be bought cards to put in a box and forget about um but it doesn't like so the the hero will have their cards and generally speaking cards of one other color there's three colors there's a neutral gray and then there's also a blue yellow and red and they'll generally have one of those three colors for the hero but the it'll bring extra cards in each of the colors so that you have other cards you could add to any hero that you want to customize your deck so they they're they're constantly encouraging you to do deck building, but you don't have to. Which again, I think that's just really neat. It's a neat way to do it, and it's not so many cards that you feel like it's a huge waste. I don't think so. You're still getting a, a full deck that feels satisfying and feels basically worth the price. The other cards are just extra. It, does, it doesn't feel like you're getting ripped off if you if you never do deck building. At least I don't think it does. And mm-hmm. for this game, I find I'm not that interested in deck building because I'm not playing it that often. 
So when I'm playing it, I just I just want to pick a hero and go. One of the things I like is that you're only using one hero. Also, in Lord of the Rings, your deck has three heroes, and it can kill. It could kill a little bit of the the theme because, if, for example, you have a deck that has, um, Bilbo, and Frodo and Denethor, which is kind of a bad guy. It's kind of weird, but you could do it. You could play those three together, <laughs> and it may be a viable deck, and you may want to use it a lot. But thematically, it feels really weird. Um, but here you've got one hero, and the cards all are going to be themed around that hero. The other cards might be different, but they're generally more generic, so it doesn't it doesn't feel weird. I like that about it. That seems to be generally true for the villain, except for their their side schemes, and you get to add any side scheme to the villain when you're going to play it. And so, for example, the Green Goblin brings a couple. The one one of the side schemes brings cards that are like pumpkins that the Green Goblin throws. That's kind of weird having a different villain throwing those pumpkins, but. If, if that's a problem, you don't have to mix it that way at all. It's easy to, to never have to worry about it. Indeed. Yep. So, it sounds like we both really love this game a lot. I didn't say that at all. But it sounds like it. It sounds like you enjoy it a lot and you think it's great. And I think it sounds like I enjoy it a lot and I think it's great. But I haven't said that at all either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I do really enjoy the game. I think... I think it's a really good game, but I keep mm-hmm. emphasizing for the target market. The game is, it is a simpler living card game than Ar- than Arkham Horror or than Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings. And it's, it's faster to play. I know that at least with many of the things, there's not a narrative. There's not a whole overarching one. And I feel like there's a push and there's there's conflict almost between it because in order to be able to get into the whole thing in order to be able to deck construct well you kind of have to be in it you've got to know Mm -hmm. the whole thing and you've got to make it sort of your living card game and i feel on the other hand like it's a simpler design and it's easier to i guess stay in it but it's a simpler design and if i want to stay in on one I prefer Arkham Horror, and there's that push to it. I think if Arkham Horror didn't exist, I'd be all over it. I'd be collecting it. I'd be really into it. But Arkham Horror exists. Mm-hmm. And I think it just simply pales because there's the idea that it's simpler, but on the other hand, you've got to be in it. You've got to make it your thing. And I wanted it to be a hero game that I can play with my kids. I want it to be a hero game that you can play sort of lightly, and at one point in time, it just it can't be because mostly because it's still got deck construction. And as soon as it has deck construction, it has to be a game that you know well. Otherwise, you just net deck or just find or just keep the original deck or something like that. But none of that interests me. So mm-hmm. there's that there's that con, there's that conflict on what it is that I wanted for, and because I can't do both, so I just didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I think I'm sort of in the same spot you are. Uh but for me it's Lord of the Rings, not Arkham Horror. I, I will say though, I don't I don't think it's simpler than Arkham than uh Lord of the Rings. I I think it's more streamlined, but if there's a difference in complexity, it's not great. I don't think it is. Um 
It's hard to say. It's really hard to look at that and be unbiased about that and decide if one is truly simpler and the other not. Like I said earlier, I think in, in Lord of the Rings, you have resources you put on your heroes each round, and that's what you're spending, and the resource you spend has to match the color of the card. So, so it's a little bit tricky and all that, and it adds tension of having the right resources and saving the resources for the right card. But instead of having that, they, they keep the same tension by having you pay for the card with other cards in your hand, but remove the fiddliness of having to worry about resources. So it doesn't feel s simpler to me. It just feels more streamlined. I think that's really neat. But I'm already invested in Lord of the Rings. I've pretty much got all the content from when it first came out. So if I want to play a game, I kind of would rather play Lord of the Rings. Actually, when we first got it and set it up, the first time my son and I started playing, two or three rounds in, we said, hey, this is pretty cool, but I kind of want to play Lord of the Rings now. <laughs> and we both had the same reaction because because it felt so similar and it's a game we're already both really familiar with. So I, I think I think it's a fantastic game, honestly. I really do. I don't think if you have a different living card game that you're really into, Lord of the Rings or Arkham Horror, I don't think there's necessarily a need for another one or maybe even room for it because it's it's a lot to keep track of if you have to. And it's a lot huge investment then because because there's so much content in each case. But it's absolutely, I think, a fantastic game to get into. Um, otherwise, I think it works well. I think it's very accessible to a lot of people, but I think it also has the potential to grow and be really complex once you start getting to the deck building and then trading the simpler villain cards for, for more difficult versions of the same villains just by tweaking what you're playing with and whatnot. Like, I think the rules say you could add multiple schemes. Like Generally speaking, you start with one, because each scheme tends to make the, that deck a little harder. You could add multiple schemes, or you could add the harder schemes. They're ranked in difficulty, and that will totally change how that game feels. And that also adds replayability to it. Um, We have said a lot, but there's a couple more things I still want to talk about. Oh, yeah? What's that? What do you think of this versus Sentinels of the Multiverse? I think that Sentinels... <laughs> okay. Sentinels of the Multiverse has a lot more going on it. Sentinels of the Multiverse, it's funny. There's the push and pull for this one in that there's deck construction, which makes it more complicated, but the gameplay is simpler. Um, Sentinels of the Multiverse is almost the opposite. The gameplay for Sentinels of the Multiverse is much more complicated. There's a lot of different tokens and types of damage and things that can be done. The cards are much more interactive. Play, play with everyone else is much more interactive. Uh, the type of things that, at least from my knowledge and reference of the different types of, uh, of the different types of things that can be done in Marvel champions, Marvel champions has simpler mechanics than Sentinels the multiverse, but Sentinels the multiverse doesn't have deck construction. So you can just sit down and play and you don't need to know all about every single deck. Frankly, if you're playing on easier modes, you don't even know all about your deck. Just be like, Oh, <laughs> this is a fun card. Let me play it and see what it does. And you know what? Every time you pull out a new, a new card from it, you're like, Oh, this works just fine. And you can just play it. Not really having all of that knowledge. You won't be nearly as good at the game you won't be able to beat some of the more difficult villains and you probably won't be able to play your deck very well but you'll have a good time doing it there's not a barrier to entry that there is with marvel champions marvel champions is a barrier to entry of i have to make a deck and i have all of these cards now that they try and ease that 
by giving the pre-built decks. And so you just use one of the pre-built decks. (sighs) (laughs) There's another push and pull both ways, but it's the opposite. Deck construction is non-existent in Marvel Champions. But on the other hand, gameplay, excuse me, deck construction is non-existent in Sentinels. But on the other hand, gameplay, I think, is better and smoother in Marvel Champions. In general, I would probably rather play Marvel Champions over Sentinels of the Multiverse. But I'd rather not have to do the deck builder that often <laughs> that Marvel Champions requires as compared to Sentinels of the Multiverse. Though in, you don't have to in theory because you could use the standard decks, right? And You can use the standard decks and you can net deck. But that means that I'm not playing part of the game. <laughs> part of the game <laughs> is the deck construction. I'm that not playing part of the game if I'm just net decking or using just the standard decks. Huh. I It's funny. I don't feel that way. But then again, I, I don't have any issue with the idea of deck construction. To me, it doesn't necessarily it doesn't feel important. It just feels like, you know, if I need something to do, I can. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about the, comparing the two. I have definitely played a lot more of um, Sentinels of the Multiverse, probably about 10 times more than I've played the Marvel Champions. I like... So I said I'm not really into the Marvel Universe. I'm not into superheroes at all in general. Um, the theme of Sentinels of the Multiverse doesn't excite me either, but for some reason I can get into those heroes more than I can into the Marvel ones. And I think it's... Be- I don't know. There's less backstory or something. When When I look at the heroes that come with the game, like there's the Sandman, I think those are expansions you could get, the Green Goblin, to me, they feel really old and outdated. I remember these from comics I used to read in the 80s, and it, it felt, the Sandman felt like kind of a lame character always to me. So seeing him out now, mm-hmm. it feels lame. I have a feeling that if I could be unbiased, and I'd looked at Sentinel's Multiverse, I'd look at those characters and say, you know what? These guys are kind of lame too. <laughs> And but I don't get that, and I don't know if it's just because it's more familiar or or, or what, but I don't get that issue with Sense of the Multiverse, and I'm happy to play with it. I like I like the amount of randomness you get from Sense of the Multiverse in that you pick three heroes, a villain, and an environment, and every time you play it could feel very different from that combination. In Marvel Champions, if you're just doing one hero and one villain, there's nowhere near as much uh, variety. Not there's nothing stopping me from playing three heroes. It's probably pretty easy to play three heroes, honestly, having done in Sentinel of the Multiverse. And I probably should try that, just see how it feels. And yeah, I'm just not interested in it. I don't know why. I can't I can't say what it is. And I think it's I've already done it with one game. I don't feel like I need to do it with another one. So in a way, maybe the issue I have is that the game just came out at the wrong time for me. Mm. You know, if it had come out ten years ago, this would be the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a really different game ten years ago. Well, yeah, and that too. <laughs> so, yeah, I do. You have any other any other thoughts on this game? I, I think I've pretty much summed it up, Albert. Okay. Yeah, we've said a lot, and I think there's a lot to say. Solo works great. We haven't really talked about the solo game in general. You just play one hero and one villain. The game is designed to scale very well. Multiplayer versus solo, it multiplies. Like for example, the villain's health is multiplied by how many players there are. How many com- cards come out from the villain deck each round is multiplied by how many players there are, one per player. So it tends to scale pretty well. Um, 
Or you can just play two-handed. Or you could just play two-handed or three-handed, or what have you. Absolutely. That's how I like playing. I haven't tried it. I've just done one hero. And part of it is I couldn't be bothered to pick two different ones that interest me. <laughs> couldn't be bothered. <laughs> it's Marvel. I don't know. It's me and Marvel. Sorry. So there we go. Uh, Marvel Champions, a fantastic game, but not for us. I think that's... It has completely thwarted us, I'm afraid. Yeah. Yep. Uh, its schemes failed against us. <laughs> Alrighty, everyone. Have a good night. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.